Welcome to The Rebound, where we'll explore the issues facing supply chain managers as our industry gets back up and running in a post-COVID world. This podcast is hosted by Abe Eskenazi, CEO of the Association for Supply Chain Management, and Bob Troublecock, Editorial Director of Supply Chain Management Review. Remember that Abe and Bob welcome your comments. Now to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of The Rebound, Sourcing Strategies for a Post-Pandemic World. I'm Bob Troublecock. And I'm Abe Eskenazi. And joining us today is Skylar Covington. Skylar is the Division Supply Chain Manager, RPCNA for Sunoco Products, a leader in packaging for both industrial products and consumer products. If you've ever eaten a can of Pringles potato chips, the container was likely manufactured by Sunoco. I'm going to get some uh, when we hang up here, Skylar. So welcome. Thanks, Bob. It's a pleasure and an honor to be uh, speaking with you and Abe today. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with the two of you and the uh, broader supply chain community. So looking forward to the discussion. Well, we're looking forward to it as well. Like every other industry, Sunoco Products has had its challenges when it comes to shutdown, supply shortages, and a lack of visibility into just what's going on in the supply base. It's leading to serious discussions about how to plan and work with the supply base going forward. I think those discussions are going on probably everywhere. They seem to be everyone I talk to. And while Skylar's background is planning and SNOP, these discussions are integrating planning, procurement, and operations in new ways. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So Skylar, let's get started. We're going to start with an easy one. I gave a very high-level overview of what Sunoco Products does. Tell us about the company and, in particular, the division in which you work. So Sunoco is a global packaging solutions provider. Uh, We have more than 300 manufacturing locations in 30 plus countries serving a variety of consumer and industrial packaging applications. Uh, I work in the rigid paper containers division uh, in the North American region, which is one of the largest business units by dollars and units uh, within the Sunoco portfolio. We produce paper and plastic cans for large CPG companies, uh, primarily in the food sector, Uh, You mentioned Pringles. Um, So between North America and my regional uh, RPC counterparts, we produce all of the Pringles cans uh, globally. Um, And in North America, we also produce all of the caulk sealant and adhesive cartridges, uh, as we call them. If you go into any um, home improvement store, uh, all of those brands, whether they're paper or plastic, uh, we produce all of them. Uh, Another large market for us is the refrigerated biscuit market, cinnamon buns, croissants, uh, and other other dough products that are refrigerated in um, in food stores. So the product we produce is essentially the primary package. Uh, again, especially for food. And if it's a spirally wound can with a label and a metal top and or paper bottom, uh, chances are in North America we make it. Um, so we again, as the primary package, uh, that is the product that the customer purchases from us, and then they then uh, take a can that usually has a, a top or bottom already sealed onto it fill it with product, and then we sell them the other attached end uh, that goes on the other side of the can. So for this discussion, one of the critical points is Sunoco is is highly vertically integrated. So uh, we actually um, source a lot of our critical raw materials from uh, internal sister divisions, which, uh, as you guys can imagine, is uh, is and can be a blessing and a curse all at the same time. So I just wanted to kind of highlight that piece because that's going to, I'm going to touch on how we interact with both internal and external suppliers. 
And then Skylar, just real quick, tell us a little bit about your responsibilities, your portfolio uh, at Sunoco. Sure. So uh, I have responsibility in North America for 17 plants, two in Mexico, one in Canada, and the balance in the U.S. Um, the supply chain group within RPC North America is essentially a center of excellence uh, type of structure. So from a responsibility perspective, I have um, purview over all of the planning, uh, which essentially means the SNOP process, including demand, rough cut capacity planning, um, and then any strategic raw material planning activities that the business needs. So we actually have a, a separate corporate sourcing group, uh, and they have primary responsibility for um, you know managing strategic uh, sourcing events, contracts, pricing. But as as we'll talk through, I'm working a lot more closely with them. Uh, kind of across our, our planning processes. Um, so in addition to planning, I also, also have responsibility for all of the inventory uh, and all the processes associated with it to plan it and utilize it. We're an Oracle house. So in, in regards to planning tools, I have responsibility for all of those uh, MRP, uh, rough cut um, production scheduling tools. And then the final piece uh, is I have responsibility for our supply chain pillar, which is a uh, a component of our internal uh, Toyota House of Quality program that that we have. So all of the assessment uh, and and working with individual plants and and planners and processes, I uh, have responsibility for that as well. So I will say, you know, in the past two years, which I know we're going to talk about, um, my team has moved into a much more tactical role. You know, we're kind of looked at looked to from the business. Uh, as the experts in um, planning and execution activities and processes. And as a result, with market changes, um, you know, all, all of the, the supply risks that we've all faced over the past couple of years, uh, we've also been working directly with suppliers, which I'll talk about, plants, other stakeholders within the corporation. Uh, and, and that's kind of organically led us into a lot more tactical type of role versus a strategic, pure strategic center of excellence. Skyler, you've really described a lot of the challenges that supply chain professionals are facing almost on a daily basis, especially for the last couple of years. We've seen a lot of challenges and changes within role responsibilities for the supply chain professionals. And yet it seems like we're still working through those challenges. We really haven't you know, cracked the code yet. As you're looking at the challenges that's facing you and your team, specifically on sourcing and raw material risk, obviously a critical part of the disruptions that occurred in the beginning of the pandemic. Has that changed in your perspective in terms of your ability to source the raw materials and get the parts and the resources necessary? Or you know, are you focused on something else? It's, it's a layered question, Abe. Um, I would say for us, it's important to kind of provide a little bit of context. So 2020, you know, obviously, we were facing very similar issues as it relates to, to COVID um, in terms of material shortages related to suppliers having having labor issues or, or just lack of production capacity. Um, so that was that was a couple of years ago. Last year for us, um, and I actually referenced this uh, in, in a talk I did at conference, uh, last 2021 for us was really about extraordinary kind of environmental constraints. So we had several uh, events a winter storm at the beginning of 2021 in particular that drove different but additional constraints as it relates to sourcing raw materials and, and all the planning activities. So that was really what consumed us in 21. And then this year, again, no different from any, anybody else, you know, we've been fa facing a highly inflationary environment across all of our raw material commodities. Um, and then what's interesting to me is in the past 
few months, uh, there, there's been a, obviously a right sizing of just inventory across all of our networks and, and that internally as well as with our suppliers. And so, you know, we've seen uh, multiple suppliers pull back production significantly, partially, you know, in anticipation of, of weaker demand in the second half of the year and also going into 23, but also because there's a lot of inventory uh, out in, in the in the network right now. So maybe getting back to your question, Abe, yes, in terms of our how we support how we have supported uh, all of those different planning and, and execution requirements has absolutely changed. I would say that the biggest challenge for me right now is just helping the business rebalance, you know, the three legs of the supply chain stool and and cost, service, and cash, right? So there's this perception that, hey, there's a lot more inventory out there to be had, but also a recognition that it's it's to be had at a much higher price. And then at the same time, we still absolutely have pockets of supply risk, right? So um, I, I think that there's, you know, the pendulum is swinging back currently, uh, and and we're being pressed to reduce inventories, even though we still have price and supply risk. So uh, that, that's a very high level fear. But as you can imagine, you know how we're dealing with that is different in a lot of ways versus just not being able to get material like was in the case in twenty and and twenty one. So you know that that's that's the one thing that keeps me up at night is is kind of battling those perceptions of. Hey, I'm hearing in the media that there's just more inventory. You know, the demand is slowing, so we should have more less risk, more material availability, but that's just not the reality. Um, the world is obviously a whole lot more complex uh, than it was a couple of years ago for all the reasons I mentioned. So um, I, I would say that's, I hope that answers your question, but that's one of the key things that I've been battling over the past couple of months. And, uh, and again, it's nuanced, but it's certainly different from a year ago. Skylar, you, you've hit on supply and supply issues uh, in your last question quite a bit. I recently had a chance to interview the outgoing global CPO for J&J. He had a really interesting observation. Of course, easy to make when you're going out the door, right? But he said that for the last couple of decades, we focused on CRM because supply was pretty predictable and supply chains you know, work the way they ought to. And he said he believes going forward that we're going to need to make the same kind of investments in SRM because in his view, you know, the, the company that has a stable and reliable supply base is the company that's going to win. You know, you've just been talking about supply and sort of indicating how you're working with suppliers. Can you identify three key ways in which you're interacting with your suppliers today versus before the pandemic and before we hit all of these disruptions? Sure, there's obviously a lot, right? So boil it down to a handful that folks would be interested in. A little bit challenging, but I, I think that the one that kind of bubbles up for me is that, to your point about you know SRM being a kind of more holistic approach, right? We're, we're working with our suppliers in in different ways, and and one of those uh, is we're actually working with our tier two suppliers in a manner and and level of rigor and detail that we've wouldn't even thought about or considered uh, prior to 2019. Not only are we working with our tier ones uh, a lot more closely, and there's a lot of elements to that, right? Uh, in terms of you know more detailed engagement on uh, our requirements and our inventory levels and, and our risks and downstream kind of changes in, in our demand, but we are providing that information to our tier ones more frequently on a, on a more structured uh, cadence, but in some cases with our tier ones, 
well, they don't have good capability to translate that into an effective uh, demand forecast for their for the, our tier twos, we're actually helping them with that, um, supporting kind of their planning process ultimately to support us. So, you know, this, this whole concept of taking a forecast, throwing it over the wall to your supplier, I mean, to be perfectly honest, is, is, is dead, right? So, you know, the comment about SRM being strategic advantage is, is a manifestation of that in terms of what we're doing with our tier, tier ones and ultimately our critical tier twos. So, so that's, that's one kind of component. You know, the other, from a holistic standpoint, uh, several times over the past couple of years uh, where we have uh, supply arrangements with our tier ones, we are actually uh, engaging with our customers on issues they might have with their tier ones, right? So if there's a critical raw material shortage somewhere, we have an opportunity to engage a tier one of ours that's either directly or indirectly uh, related to a tier one of our customers. Uh, we're we're doing that, um, and the commercial team, in addition to, to myself and our supply management sourcing group, we all get engaged on that. So it's it's an all hands on deck type of activity when that happens. So again, you know, working with our suppliers to help our customer suppliers is just not something even considered uh, a couple of years ago. The third thing I would say is, you know, we're really doubling down, if you will, on standard kind of strategic engagements that we have with our suppliers. So not unlike many folks, right? We have quarterly business reviews, um, sometimes biannually, you know, depending upon the kind of the nature of the supplier, uh, where we review typical metrics, right? Well, now those reviews obviously include a lot more detail around uh, specific specific inventory levels. Um, you know, supply risks, we have a, you know, when we started the pandemic, just as an example, our sourcing group started a very detailed um, risk uh, scorecard for pretty much all of our suppliers, not just key suppliers. Um, and, and the components of that have made it into routine discussions with suppliers. So, you know, just really taking that, that typical supplier, strategic supplier review to a, a whole other level. Those are kind of the three areas, you know, working tier ones and tier twos differently uh, on our side, working you know, with customers, suppliers, uh, directly or indirectly, and then just really taking the business analysis, performance analysis, and ultimately collaborative results with our strategic suppliers to just a, a level that we wouldn't even consider, you know, was value added you know, three years as first. Skylar, you're bringing up a, a couple of really, you know, key points here, specifically on the risk management and supply management, obviously for your, your key suppliers. Uh, one of the things that we saw in the pandemic was that the majority of the disruptions occurred beyond tier one and uh, tier two and tier three and beyond. So give me a sense of how you're integrating your suppliers who may not have the same capabilities as you into your planning process, whether on the data side, and obviously the level of trust that's necessary with your key suppliers is critical. But how are you integrating your suppliers into your planning process? Are they actively engaged or, you know, is it a, you know, arm's length, you know, sort of transaction or relationship with them? Yeah, absolutely. Is, is the short answer. And obviously it's going to depend on the supplier, their criticality to kind of our, um, our production process. But there have been several instances over the past couple of years where we have implemented what I would consider very tactical uh, execution and planning processes with suppliers, right? So we have a we have a constraint, whether it's uh, at a, at the tier one level, tier two, or both. And 
we effectively run a uh, on a uh, the one I'm thinking about in particular was a weekly uh, cycle uh, where we would provide you know detailed uh, requirements out for the next six to eight weeks. Uh, we would overlay that with our tier ones inventory, um, their production schedule, uh, and ultimately even their raw materials. So we could kind of see a little bit upstream, you know, where, where the risks might manifest themselves. So, um, so yes, I mean, it, we, um, and, and obviously the, the data that we were sharing in, in that particular case uh, was kind of an output of our uh, SNOE process. So it was closely linked in, in terms of what we the visibility we had to uh, our, our short-term requirements. Um, the other thing I'll mention on this, Abe, that we're doing is in the past, uh, strategic suppliers generally would come to us and say, hey, you know, we need better visibility out, you know, whatever, six months, whatever the time horizon was. Um, and it was, for the most part, it was suppliers kind of pulling visibility data and information from us. We're, we're now pushing it, right? So we're looking for uh, we obviously over the past couple of years we've identified where we have critical raw material supply chains and we've looked at all of the available forecast production inventory data that we have that's specific to that commodity if we're not already we are reaching out to those suppliers and saying hey you know we if we don't have a, a process set up we need to uh, figure out how we integrate our information you know across those attributes and elements into your process and, and what are the specific, you know, how are you consuming this forecast data? You know, what's the refresh frequency? How are we going to pass along assumptions to you regards to changes in our forecast? So it's it's been a much more proactive process versus, again, in the past, suppliers would come to us and say, hey, we, we're getting bull whipped here, right? So, you know, help us uh, get visibility. Like I said, we're, we're now kind of going to suppliers and saying, you need to have this. Uh, and if you don't, then we'll help you get the information you need from us, build out the process, and in a couple of cases, actually run it uh, a few times to help them develop that, that capability. So um, so that, that would be one, one just high-level example. The other thing I would say, Abe, that I'm assuming other folks are doing, but in these tact new planning tactical processes with our suppliers, uh, our commercial team has a significantly more active role, right? So uh, for, for key raw materials, uh, where we have these kind of tactical or midterm uh, allocation or production scheduling, collaborative production scheduling processes with suppliers, we have the our commercial team that's representing the key customers who consume those materials on the phone, right? So, and, and they can obviously provide a whole lot more color to, you know, short-term changes, long-term changes, things that they're hearing from our customers, so they have a they have a significantly more engaged role, you know. At the end of the day, what that looks like is supply chain kind of facilitating um, that new kind of integrated production scheduling process, if you will, with participation from our commercial team uh, and also obviously our our sourcing group. So typically, <laughs> large calls uh, on a frequent basis with a lot of data, with the ultimate goal of making sure we we reduce risk up and down the supply chain and ultimately have raw materials that we can convert into uh, finished goods for our customers. Skylar, when I first started editing SCMR, which was like a decade ago, one of the concepts you know we heard a lot about at the time was CPFR. And I can't remember the last time I did hear the term CPFR. So in today's environment, is it still relevant? And if so, how? So conceptually, I, I think it is. I mean, it's it, the concepts are, are you know exactly what it sounds like, right? But I, I think where 
there's more of the specificity kind of needed in the apex definition is around kind of time scale and frequency um, and, and then also risk. So in the apex dictionary, CPFR is defined as jointly planning key supply chain activities from production and delivery of raw materials to production and delivery of finished goods to end customers. Uh, and it encompasses business planning, sales forecasting, and all operations required for replenishment. I think that the key updates, if you will, to CPFR, the definition anyway, are uh, the frequency needs to be well-defined and obviously more, more frequent than annual the annual business planning cycle. The collaborative uh, scope of the process needs to be not only very well-defined, um, but understood by all parties. And then the last and most important thing is, you know, CPFR in today's world needs to include a significant portion of time for identif identification of risk. And that would be a collaborative process, which is essentially what we're doing with our suppliers right now, whether we're doing that in the, in the kind of a joint tactical production planning scheduling activities or in the quarterly business reviews, those both of those now include uh, proactive identification of risk, right? And I, I think that's the letter of CPFR as a process certainly is still applicable, uh, but in terms of how to make it truly value added, it needs to have some, has some additional color for all parties to benefit. One last question, and you, you hit upon the collaboration issue that you know has been you know obviously a holy grail for a lot of organizations in bringing uh, all the disparate planning, procurement, operations, logistics, and distribution you know in, into a cohesive you know plan as you're describing here. SNLP was one of the ways that you know to bring them together, but oftentimes it breaks down when we get into implementation. To your point before about that tactical you know step for an organization. When you describe the environment to collaborate, how do you make that happen? How do you get the buy-in and break down the silos? A lot of organizations are facing, you know, in turf protection. You, you seem to have, you know, at least addressed some of those issues. How did you break down those silos? Well, like everything else, Abe, the, the devil is really in the details, but I'll, I'll kind of give you a couple of examples. So in our uh, SNOP process, uh, the supply review, the second stage of our process, uh, that's primarily a, a capacity, historically, has been a capacity you know, rough cut capacity review. As we got into to 2020, we pulled in one of the key uh, commodity managers from our sourcing group into the supply review and gave him some airtime and said, these are the things that we want to know about, you know, in terms of <clears throat> raw material risk, tariff impacts, any other uh, supply shortages. And, and that started off as like 10 minutes, roughly, of the supply review back in 2020. It's now almost 45 minutes, right? And so, and, and we now have a couple of different people uh, who are attending from uh, from our sourcing organization. So that that's just a very simple way of, you know, how we've tried to break down those silos, you know, get folks engaged in, in a standard process, maybe where they weren't before. The other thing that I'll mention on this one is the more overlap that I think you can have between your SNOP and SNOE activities, obviously, the more benefit you're going to get in this type of planning environment. And so, you know, for us, that kind of manifests itself in pulling in potentially uh, folks from the plants in the supplier view where it's, you know, value added and applicable, right? Over the past couple of years, we've started a new newsletter, you know, and that sounds pretty, pretty Mickey Mouse and basic, but, but it has uh, all of the key takeaways from the SNOP process, kind of what our SNOP goals are, has some metric information, and it's a one-page digestible you know, uh, format that goes out to all of our operations group, our sales group, 
and just that in and of itself, right? It's just a communication tool um, that we hadn't been doing in the past. But ultimately, what we do with it is we tie together, hey, these are our SNOP kind of goals and directives and guidance. This is what it looks like on the SNOE side. You know, if you're not 100% clear, right, on, on kind of how that fits together or your part in that, then reach out to the supply chain group uh, and, and we will get you information you need, answers you need, uh, whatever the case may be. So, you know, I, I think that a lot of it, you know, Abe, is kind of basic blocking and tackling. The other thing, the last thing I'll say that I've told my group is the more structured we have all this stuff, right? The, the better we are at maintaining our SNOP, SNOE meetings, you know, data review, all that cadence, right? The, the better we are at standardizing that stuff, the reality is we get more bandwidth to deal with all the other exceptions, right? And and I I talk with folks at conference about this. They say, well, it's just really hard to, you know, to, to have a standard process in a, in a, a VUCA world, right? I would argue the opposite. I would say that you get more capacity to deal with um, extraordinary events if your standard planning processes are really, really well defined and tight, and and you know meeting the needs that they were designed to meet. So just a, a couple of ways that I, I think we've been able to help integrate. And I, you know, I mentioned the collaboration with sales on with the tactical stuff and the integration with our sourcing team. Um, so it's, it's it's a lot of things, right? But um, I, I think it's you know the, the silo kind of blurring those lines uh, just gets back to creative communication um, and and really structuring and formalizing and institutionalizing your standard planning processes. Skylar, I can't thank you enough. Uh, there is so much there that we can continue on for at least another hour about all the things that you've implemented to, to really address the challenges and take advantage of the opportunities. Obviously, as organizations are facing this, they're, you know, they're all facing the same types of you know, risk and management problems. So congratulations to you. That is all the time that we have today. A special thanks to our guest, Skylar Covington. And finally, a special thanks to you for joining us on this episode of The Rebound. We hope you'll be back for the next episode. For The Rebound, I'm Abe Ashkenazi. And I'm Bob Troublecock. All the best, everyone. Thanks. The Rebound is a joint production of the Association for Supply Chain Management and Supply Chain Management Review. For more information, be sure to visit ASCM.org and SCMR.com. We hope you'll join us again.